Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So we have two more weeks of Back to Basics. We're going to be doing this week, and then we have next week, and then I have a idea of a series that we're going to do for the month of December. So um, this morning, we are getting back to basics yet again. We are going to be talking about the miraculous. And it's kind of interesting that the idea of the miraculous really is supposed to be foundational. The, the idea of miraculous, the idea of, of God bringing about supernatural provision in our lives is supposed to be foundational. It's supposed to be basic. And yet so often we don't expect or look for it. So often it's just, well, I, need, I have to keep doing this on my own. I have to keep figuring this thing out. I have to keep doing my best. I have to, to keep trying because if I don't, there's nothing else that is going to take care of me. We serve a God of miracles. When we first started our study on the story, for those of you that were here, there's, there's five words that are foundational in the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created and the, the word that they use for, for created is to make from nothing. It wasn't that in the beginning God took some other stuff that was just hanging out and he reorganized it to make it work. In the beginning God created. He took from nothing and he created. God made something from nothing. And if you start with that as the foundational truth, if you believe that you serve a God who created, then why can't he move in a mighty way and intervene in this area of health in your life? If you serve a God who knit the very fibers of your being together, then why can't he intervene in an issue of blood? Why can't he intervene in an issue of eyesight, in an issue of muscle, in an issue of bone, whatever it may be? Why can't he intervene? Is it because he just doesn't know how? Maybe he forgot. No. Probably not. Is it maybe that he's just not strong enough? He used all of his juice up when he created the heavens and the earth, and now he just doesn't have enough left for my shoulder. Probably not. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man in his own image. He breathed into a handful of dirt and created life. He flung the stars into existence. His son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was, was born 
in a womb of a virgin, defying all medical science. That son became the healing Jesus, the miracle-working son of God. Our Lord, our Savior, is a miracle-working Savior. There were never any exceptions when, when Jesus walked, when we read the, the scripture, when we read the New Testament, when we look at the life of Jesus, there was never an exception to how he healed. He healed the lame. He healed the deaf. He healed the blind. He healed one-on-one. He healed in a group. He healed with a touch. He healed at a distance. He healed any time that there was a need for healing. On one occasion, he put dirt in his hand, he spit in it, and he put it in the mud into some guy's eyes. That's, that's not in the Journal of Medicine. They don't say to do that. Why did he do that? It, it's interesting because there's this belief among Jewish people that there is healing virtue in the spit of the firstborn son. I don't know where they got that. <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting thought that if, if that really truly was the tradition, and, and let's just be clear right now for everybody that's like pulling up Google on their phones, I didn't really fact check that a whole lot, okay? So just, <laughs> that's not what I'm basing all of today's, uh, <laughs> all of today's uh, topic on, I promise. But why did he do that? What if that was the case? I'm the the firstborn of my father, and I have healing power. He healed blood diseases. He healed leprosy. Leprosy was a death sentence at that time. If if you had leprosy, you were shipped off to a a colony that that other people were living at that had leprosy, and and you never saw your family again unless it was by a, a huge distance with a gap in between. But Jesus stepped into the life of a leper and he, he touched them and he healed them. He healed the paralytic. The, the, it's a nerve disease and, and he was able to reattach nerves. He was able to, to realign a spinal column to make it so that somebody could walk. When a centurion came and said, my, my son who's a long way off, needs healing. And I know that if you would just say a word, that he would be healed. And, and Jesus comments on the faith of the centurion, and, and there's healing. The Bible says, these signs shall follow them, that believe in my name. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We're talking about miracles and sometimes miracles get, get kind of pigeonholed into healing. But there are, are plenty of instances where God has moved in power in my life. There is plenty of instances where I've seen God move in power in areas outside of healing. Maybe your need isn't a need for healing. Maybe your need is a need for God to move in an area of provision. Maybe your, your need is a, a need that, that God would move in an area of housing, of employment, of, of anything else. 
God cares for the needs of his people. And what we're going to recognize this morning is that when we, we come and we, we meet God's conditions, the miraculous takes place. As I was preparing for this morning, as I was preparing for this particular teaching, I, I was looking at, at just kind of this, the overall collection of teaching as it relates to miracles. It was startling that on one hand we have this, this whole group of thought that believes that there is no room for the miraculous today, that, that God's miraculous power stopped with the time of the apostles and that going forward there's, there is no miracle to be had. And then contrast that with a huge group of people. If you do a Google search for studies on miracles, like the first three pages are five easy steps to claim your miracle. What? <laughs> How is that? The, the, and the, the way Google algorithms work is people click on them and then they stay at the top. And so everybody is looking for this fast, easy, quick answer to how do I get this thing that I've been praying for? How do I turn God into the vending machine that I need? So I have good news and bad news. The good news is God absolutely performs miracles today. The bad news is, is it's, it's not necessarily a five-step program for us to get one. There is a need for something. And we just sang about it. I believe in you. And another word for that is faith. And before we go one step further, if you are currently right now praying and seeking God for a miracle and you haven't seen it yet, I am not telling you that you don't have enough faith. That is not what this means. Okay? There is a requirement for faith for this process to start. But God works on God's time. God doesn't work according to my schedule. God doesn't work according to how I think it should go. He doesn't say, well, this is the tool I'm going to use because Matt said so. God has plans. He has designs for the best in my life. And sometimes when, when it feels like a miracle is, is perfect in this situation, God says, you might think that, but watch this. The, the word of God is, is living, is alive. I am what this book says I am. I can do what the Bible says I can do. I can have what the Bible says I can have. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. Is there an area where you need a miracle in your life this morning? 
the first step in that process of saying, God, I, I, I need this miracle in my life is having the faith to be able to come to God and ask and say, God, I know you can move in this situation. In this area of my life that seems hopeless, in this area of my life that seems impossible, I believe in you because you are the God of miracles. Whatever you ask, the Father, in my name, I will do it. If those three verses were the only verses in the Bible, it would be a powerful book. There's a, a very important aspect of faith that most of us don't like very much. Faith begins before you know how things are going to turn out. It would be so much easier to have faith if you knew what the end looked like. It would be so much easier to have faith if you knew, well, I know this, this is the result. I've seen the result in this situation, and so it's easy for me to have faith. No, we don't get to do that. We, we instead have to look back. And, and that's why it's so important for us to, to come together as a body of believers to, to be able to witness God moving in the lives of his people. And say, God, because I've seen the testimony of what's happened in Paula's life. I've seen the testimony of what has happened in Mike and Gina's life. I've seen the testimonies of, of how you have moved miraculously in other situations. I believe in you that you will move miraculously in this area, even though I have no idea what it's going to look like at the end. If we look at, at the faith chapter in Hebrews, by faith Noah built an ark and saved his family and saved an entire generation. By faith Abraham looked for a city in whose builder and maker was the Lord. By faith Sarah conceived at 90 to produce Isaac, the son of laughter. The Bible says in the New Testament, have faith in God. Have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. If we look at, at our own lives, if we look at the, the components that make us up, we, ha we have our, our physical nature, we have our physical being, and we have our spiritual being. Scripture addresses both of them equally. The, the God of the natural, the God who created us, is also the God of the supernatural. The God who enforces the laws of physics enforces the laws of the supernatural. And it's, it's kind of an interesting illustration. When you take water and you put it in an ice tray and you, you put it in the freezer, you don't close the door to the freezer and, and get on your knees and say, oh, freezer, please, oh, please, create ice cubes. We just know. We know that 
the laws of physics are going to do what the laws of physics are going to do. And so when we put the ice or the water in the, the ice trays and put it in the freezer, we, we are, I would say, 100% certain that we are going to come back and get ice out of that ice tray. Unless you're like my kids and leave the door open. Then it doesn't work. But if, if we know that we know that we know that that's the truth, that that is dependable, that that is going to happen, shouldn't that be our approach to God providing for his children? Shouldn't that be our approach to expecting God to move in miraculous ways? Sure, we can ask God, but do we have to convince him? Can you imagine how awful it would be is if in order to see the miraculous come about in your life, you had to show up and make a case to God and explain why you either A, deserved the miracle, or B, why, why it was a good idea for him to do it and, and change God's mind. It, that's not even possible. How can we think of doing something like that? It doesn't work that way. If we look at the 103rd Psalm, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget his benefits. Benefits are good. We like benefits. Anytime I, I'm interacting with my team and, and uh, as the director in an IT company, anytime I'm working with this group of people that are kind of across the United States, if you make a mention of anything that is going to remotely affect their benefits, you can bet there is going to be a substantial influx in communication. <laughs> Up. <laughs> we, but, but we like benefits. What are benefits in this particular case? Who forgives all your iniquities? What's an iniquity? Iniquity is a sin. The, the sin that you know was a sin while you're doing the sin. Yeah, that. And then you go ahead and do it anyway. Who forgives all of our iniquities? Who heals all of our diseases? And it's interesting right there, we see the linkage between those two parts of us, right? We have our physical selves. He heals all our diseases and forgives all of our iniquities, our, our diseases that affect our physical body, our iniquities that affect our spiritual selves. My physical problem is not a crisis in heaven. And that should be encouraging. When I come and ask God for healing, when I come and ask God for, for intervention in my life, it's not like, oh, everybody get ready. This is going to be a big one. With a single word, with a single gesture, God dispatches resources. Healing in the Bible didn't, didn't start with Jesus. If we go back to Exodus 15, God says to the, the children of Israel, 
after they, they've come out of Egypt and they've, they've crossed the Red Sea and, and they're now trying to figure out what it means to be a people that has been chosen by God. He says, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God that heals all of your diseases. In Psalm 105, speaking of that exact same instance, his, uh, David says that he brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among them. Not only did God heal them, he provided for them. He, he gave them silver, he gave them gold. The Egyptians piled everything on and said, get out of here. And that is miraculous. They had just watched the, the God of Israel send 10 plagues that completely wiped out their nation that completely wiped out their army, that completely wiped out their economy. Their cattle were dead in the field. Their wheat was gone. There was nothing to eat. Bugs had eaten everything. And in almost every single household, there was a dead person. How terrifying would that be? The Egyptian people were terrified by the power of God. The Jewish people had worked for 430 years for free. And God made sure that they were taken care of. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. And by his stripes we are healed. We talk about those two words. He's born. He's carried. It's more than just, oh, I feel bad for you. Oh, I'm sorry that's, that's happening in your life. Sometimes that's the best that we have to offer. But this is there, there's more to it than this. And if we look back at, at some of the feasts that were celebrated by the people of Israel, there's a specific feast of Yom Kippur. This is the, the feast of repentance. And you've probably heard about this one where there's these two goats. And they're, they're brought to the temple by the high priest and the first goat is, is slaughtered on the, on the spot. And the goat's blood is poured into a bowl and the high priest takes his forefinger and his thumb and he, he dips it in the blood. And with that, he symbolically puts the sins and the sicknesses of the entire nation of Israel, of, of all of the people, onto the second goat. And that second goat is the scapegoat. That's where we get that, that term. And that scapegoat is, is led to the outskirts of town, to the edge of a cliff in a far remote place, and it's thrown off the cliff. And where it dies is where the sin of the people of Israel has been removed. Matthew eight sixteen, he healed all that were sick. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. God never said, well, I'm sorry that you're dealing with this. Better luck next time. Maybe you should try harder. If you just would have done what I said in the first place, you wouldn't be in this situation now, right? That's a crowd favorite. He picked up the sin and iniquity and the sickness and he threw it over the cliff. He threw it away. And now we're free. The healings of Jesus were never occasional. It wasn't like it was just a one-time thing and, and that was it. Everywhere people went to follow Jesus because he was healing continuously. There is no place in the Bible, if we look, that Jesus turned anyone away who was sick. There is never a place where he says, this is too much. This is too difficult. This is impossible for me. Sometimes it's easier for us to... to kind of go the direction of some of those denominations that are saying that there is no room for healing anymore. There is no, no power of healing anymore because when we say that, then it, we, we, there's no expectation for us to live up to. There's, no, there's nothing that actually holds any weight or value that we have to worry about. The Bible says, as many as he touched were made perfectly whole. He touched them, and they were healed. And he gave this commission to the disciples. He said, go and wait in that upper room. And when you go wait in that upper room, I'm going to send you a helper. John 14, 12, it says, I say unto you that he that believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. When I get to the Father, I will send you the comforter. When I get to the Father, I will send you a helper. When the Holy Spirit arrives in the upper room, that is the signal that Jesus Christ arrived at the Father. The sacrifice at the cross has been accepted. The sacrifice for sin has been accepted. The sacrifice for healing has been paid. And we are now redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus gave this commission saying, is there any sick among you? 
Actually, it was in James, in uh, James 5.14, it says, Are there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. And it's interesting that they use elders, and they don't say, Let them call for the, the apostles that are, are still alive. Because if, if it really truly was that miracles were supposed to stop with the apostles, then wouldn't that have been the instruction that was in the Bible? But instead it says, if there is any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, because there will always be elders in the church. And those elders of the church will lay hands and anoint with oil and believe for God's healing in that situation, for God's miraculous, mighty move of power in that situation. So the question is, how do we see God's miraculous move in our lives today? And the first step in that process is faith, is asking for God to move. And it's not a matter of convincing. It's not a matter of demonstrating why you deserve. Saying, God, I don't know why I'm in the middle of this particular situation. Or maybe I do, but it's a big one. I know that you have never failed me. I know that you have never left me. I know that you have fought my battles and that you have always brought victory. And so God, I'm coming to you this morning and I am thanking you in advance for what I know you are going to do in my life. The victory that you have promised is mine. I will not be defeated because you have never failed me. That is the stance that we are to take. We are to, to claim promises that are, are written in the word of God. And we are to recognize that God's timing is perfect. And God heals in many, many different ways. God provides in many, many different ways. There was an illustration that I've heard a, a number of times. But it's this idea of, of the, this person praying that they have enough for a dinner that's coming up on a specific Sunday. Oh God, I, I ask that you would, would just provide for this particular meal. I'm concerned that I'm not going to have enough. And, and just pouring their, their heart out that, that they would receive God's provision in this area. And, and they're invited to by a, a friend to come over and eat on that particular day. And no, I know that God is going to provide in this area. And, and so they keep praying and, and another invitation comes. No, I, I'm going to trust that God is going to provide. And the fact of the matter is, <laughs> God has been providing all of these different times and we're just not look, listening. And so after we have faith, after we, we seek 
God's moving in our lives, then it comes to listening, to paying attention, to watching what God is doing. What is he bringing about? What opportunities are are becoming available? And then the the last step is after you experience God meeting your need, after you experience God's miraculous provision in your life, that becomes your testimony. And you proclaim that amongst the church so that there is an increase in faith. So that others can look and see, well, because of that testimony, I can overcome by the grace of God. That's the the process that we get to go through as we pursue the miraculous in our life, as we, we treat that as a foundational basic of our Christian faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we come this morning and we thank you that you are a God who moves in the lives of his children, that you are a God of the miraculous. Lord, as we prepare to move to our ministry time this morning, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We will have some uh, teams that will come up that will will join with those that need prayer. Lord, we ask that if there is the need for the miraculous, Lord, that you will move. That you will strengthen faith. That you will provide in miraculous ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 